This is Derek Moyer, and welcome to the Freedom Fighter Podcast. So welcome back guys to the Freedom Fighter Podcast, it's been a while, uh, we've had a, a few months or more than a few months, six months there off, uh, but we're, we're ready to come back and uh, we have a tremendous five parts, meant to be six, but I think we missed a part uh, of our recent um, Fighting for the Hearts of Our Children retreat. So for those that couldn't make it and for those around the world that are following us, we've recorded it to, to, you know, to offer... Uh, this uh, special time we had, and uh, myself, Finn Scotland, Martin King, Fintan and Elaine Supple from Dublin joined us, and it's really, really, really rich. So uh, we'll release these over the next coming weeks, and the first part, we talk about situational awareness in regards to what is going on right now. We, we are children, how do we fight for them, What's, what, what are we coming against? So I pray this really deeply blesses you guys as you're listening. God bless. I remember years ago I'd been on a couple of different retreats to different places and I said to my brother, take a good look at me and I was very confidently uh, saying this because I'm never going to be the same again. Now I was saying that utterly believing I know I'm, I, I, the, my inner life is never going to be the same again. I maybe still look the same, but, but I was meaning I'm never going to be the same again. So take a good look. So, you know, that sense of expectancy that says, I believe, I'm, I didn't get all dressed up for nothing. I'm not coming here to remain the same. I, I'm believing that I'm never going to be the same again. And, uh, and trusting that, 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 that God, will, God will do what he says he will do. We're just going to give a wee bit of situational awareness about where we are tonight. And I'm going to read something. But this is the Health and Safety Executive. Right? They regulate the workplace health and safety. So wait, wait to just read this and see how it fits in with where we are tonight. Situational awareness is being aware of what's happening around you in terms of where you are where you're supposed to be, and whether anyone or anything around you is a threat to your health and safety. So this is the context of workplace. But our knowledge, our experience, our education enables us to understand what is going on around us and helps us to determine if it's safe. This means that everybody's situational awareness is individual and potentially different. We use our situational awareness to make decisions and to instruct others. Our situational awareness is only as accurate as our perception or reading of the situation is. So what we think is happening may not accurately reflect reality. How we read a situation can be influenced by many things, such as the type of information we've been given, our own experience and distractions in the workplace. And why should we improve this? It's important that you, you know how many problems you face and how serious they are. The temporary loss or lack of situational awareness is a casual factor in many construction accidents. Often, there's so much going on in your working environment, or you become so absorbed in your own thoughts that you fail to spot those things that could pose a serious threat to your health and safety. Now, wait till you hear this in the context of where we are tonight. And 
our children, our family, uh, how we manage our own, uh, you know, how we parent, how we manage the expectations of, you know, our children, you know, uh, you know, in different situations. I know we're all different here with different kids in different places, but how we read what's going on and interpret is influenced by the type of info we've received. It's influenced by our own previous experience, our own parenting journey, or the programming that we've experienced, and the distractions that can take up our attention. So our interpretation of what's going on can be so caught up with all these different things that are buying for our attention. Think of that if you've got young children, or, or, or what you're saying, Dan. We've got kids right before us that we are chat, we are faced with navigating their young hearts well. And all this stuff's coming against us. This is situational awareness about what's going on, where am I, what's the threats to what's happening to me, and my, you know, parent-child, grandfather, granddaughter, grandson. Why do we need to improve this? Lack of it results in many accidents. Many uh, avoidable failures. Many avoidable defeats. We can have so much going on in our own thoughts that we fail to spot and avoid the things that threaten our spiritual and mental health and the health of our relationships with our children. So... The importance of situational awareness. Uh, the importance of us knowing what's going on and where we are. I was a couple of years at college, health, uh, the, the counselling course, and a, a guy gave me this quote for Carol Jung. He says, unless the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct our lives and we'll call it fate. And it jumped to it and slapped me because I thought that explains what we're doing, what we're, what, we're, what we're exploring, what we're excavating things for, what we're, what we're seeking for. Because the unconscious things that's happened to me, the things that play out in my life, unless they become conscious, they continue to, they continue to play out and direct things. And we just say, this is, how does this keep happening? And we call it fate as if, oh, this just must or whatever will be will be. Um, you know, so this situation awareness about we, knowing where we are, what's going on, what's playing out, what's happening with the situation yeah, we were, all, we're all sitting there, we were talking about differently there, about what's going on with my, you know, my own relationships with my parents or my, my young children or whatever. So, where partly this is buff for me happened when I went to Colorado. There was a session that wasn't about what I actually come up for me. My son's grand phoned me, Linda's mum, my wife's mum. I was saying, How, how's Daniel when I'm over here? And she says, he's behaving like this. Where's he getting this for? And I go back to the, the ranch and uh, I never focused on the session itself, but I laid down and I, and I asked, just asked a question about my son and I saw this vision. A couple of days before when I went to the ranch, there was a big Beautiful fruit bowl, brand new ripe bananas, really tasty looking bananas. 
uh, I went to get one, and maybe a day later, and they're all black. I'm going, what? You know, the, the one I looked at a couple of days ago. So I'm, I lay down, and I heard God inside say, that's what's wrong with your son. It's the environment he's in. And it was not, it's not what I want to hear. It was very painful, exposing, disruptive revelation that came into me to say, do you want to know the situation? And, and that's what I received. And I was like, you know, shaking, want to run away from it, want to deny it. So, as I say, very unsettling, hard to hear. And uh, so, what, what's been my journey for then is really what, what we are, you know, we'll be touching on, unpacking some of this over the next couple of, couple of days uh, to begin that journey of, you know, how, how, does, it, how does it change as we talk to Darren? Turning points begin when, when responsibility, ownership, truth is faced. So uh, I'm just going to ask a couple of the team up to sh- share about, you know, their experience, Vince, you can come first, of uh, situational awareness regarding this, this message. I think the first thing I wanted to share was, I doubt if there's anybody that ever parented a child that feels they did a perfect job of it. Um, and I was certainly in that category. Uh, but what I wanted to share, and what Derek wants me to share at this juncture, is this. Um, God gave me a dream. And I was, I was already concerned about the state of our kids. Uh, even in Christian families, I was concerned what was happening to our kids because of all the, the internet, social media... And all the other distractions that are there, the drugs in primary school, four courts. So I was concerned about that. These are things in my, in my uh, generation we didn't face. We had none of these things. So the, the dream I had was uh, <clears throat> God put me into a home, a Christian home, and I saw the parents downstairs concerned, worried, anxious about their kids and they were praying, God, help us with our children. Show us what to do. Help us. And you know, the thing about it is, what was happening upstairs was the kids on their own devices, on their computers, on their laptops, on their phones, being educated by the world. With all the standards of the world. That's what was going into their young hearts and young minds. <clears throat> the message for me was, and that, was that we need to be far, as parents, we need to be far more intentional. We need to be far more engaged with our children, more than ever in the time that we are living in today. I'll be sharing a bit more later on in, the, in, the, in this event. But basically I want to say this, is that I was faced with, with a very difficult situation within my own family. I've got two daughters, they're grown up now, I've got five grandchildren, four girls, one boy, and I'm just about to be a great-grandfather. Um, so I've got a little bit of experience in parenting and grandparenting. 
Um, so, although this, that dream came, but this has been rubbing in my heart for a while, and I started to really take God at his word, that I needed to be far more intentional. Even although my kids are grown up, my daughters are grown up, they've got families of their own, but I realised they still needed me. Yeah. They still needed to hear my voice. They still needed to hear what I had to say. They still needed to hear that I loved them, that I cared for them. So I started to be far more intentional in these areas. And, you know, for the West of Scotland guys here, this isn't something that comes easy for us. Uh, you know, to be emotional, to be touchy-feely, it's not something that comes natural for us. Um, I know probably women, it's much easier for, for you, you girls. No? Okay. So maybe it's a West of Scotland thing then, David. That we're not terribly good at pouring out love and affection uh, and being demonstrative. But I took God at his word to be intent. I started to really go out my way to pour out uh, affection and love to my girls, to affirm them, to, to, to take time out, to, um, to set time aside where it was just me and them. And often I got them one-to-one -one so I could just speak into their lives. And uh, what happened there was I, that went from a very difficult situation and I can honestly say today, and I'm telling you this as a word of encouragement, my relationship with my daughters has never been better. Even as little kids, they're now adults. And it's the same with my grandkids who are also quite grown up. Um, so I wanted to share this just to encourage you because I know many of us are facing difficult situations with your children. Um, and, and, and in your families. But do you know the, the, the great thing about this is a wonderful thing that God does in all of this that I've found time and time and time again that God speaks directly into your situation. He will speak into your heart what to do with your child's heart. Mm. He will. I've done this time and time and time again. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few examples as we go through the days. But the, the things that I've found that work best for, for me is those times I've spent with God and, and asked him, just show me what to do in this particular situation. How can I break through there? How can I, what are the right words to say there? What are the right actions to do, to do there? And time and time again, when I put that into action, it's born great fruit. So, thanks, Vince, for sharing. I'm, I'm going to uh, introduce you guys to Finton and Elaine. So, we just met each other in May. Uh, we were over, me and Linda, my wife, was over in Dublin. And we we had this uh, amazing time with you guys over there. So, um, we're going to really, really, really bless us, you know. Uh, so... Do you just want to share on, you know, what, what you are feeling about the situation? Situation. <laughs> <laughs> the situation. It's a sticky, sticky situation. <laughs> <laughs> We're not actually from the north, but uh, 
uh, we came in through the north um, today uh, and yes we did meet Derek in May and Derek's pretty good at recruiting people <laughs> to come and speak um, yeah it's interesting situational awareness you know I was thinking those of you who know anything about you know medical services um, you know emergency services orientation times four anyone orientation times three or four when somebody's out cold and they wake up or whatever you ask them who they are where they are you know um, what time of the day it is and what was happening that's orientation times four so they check in see what your name is it happened to me in Dublin once there's a guy on the ground well he came out of a pub and he fell and he whacked his head really hard and he was out and so I was a first responder at 999, called the services. I was with somebody else. My phone is on his chest going up and down, so he's breathing. And they asked me to do the orientation checks, put him in recovery position. And I was thinking, this is, so, this is so relevant to all of our stories, to know who you are, what situation you're in, and to be awake and alert to it, like like we're hearing it's so important and so <laughs> even coming here today we arrived in Lauren uh, at the harbour and uh, she says your name well I knew that because I hadn't banged my head off the ground so supple is my surname and she goes have you got a reservation number and I go yeah yeah so I got my phone out reservation she says uh <clears throat> You do know you were supposed to be here yesterday at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so there you go. I didn't have that orientation of which day of the week it was. <laughs> and she says, the, the boats, the ferry's fully booked. And so you're going to have to go on standby. There's not much of a chance of you getting in because we're sold out. It's like, so she told us to, to move the car and put it you know, to the side. And in that moment, I felt about nine years old as all the cars were going by, that I couldn't get this right. I'm in my 50s, I feel childlike, that I can't even get the day of the week right because I knew we were coming, but I thought we were on the move on Sunday. Anyway, and so orientation, and I think going into this next couple of days, you know, when, when we get to understand ourselves and what happened to us, as children and have like situational awareness mm-hmm. around the impact of what happened to us mm-hmm. and actually how Jesus is coming mm-hmm. in his healing ministry mm-hmm. after the children that are within us mm-hmm. and his reparenting of us mm-hmm. of that nine-year-old who sat in the harbor this morning feeling disoriented displaced Elena and I our stories are quite similar in that we grew up in different countries and despite having Irish passports, we spent most of our young lives on the move. Elaine lived in 16 homes, 22, 22 homes, 16 schools. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the circus stopped. Um, her father was a trapeze act- artist. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but her childhood had a lot of impact on who she is and who she was when I met her because of all that displacement. And it's been a lot of unpacking of that. I have the same story. I grew up abroad and moved around a lot. A lot more stability than that. But these things 
have all imp impacted who we are and what parents we have been to our five children. I'm an only son of an only son, and I have an only son. I have four daughters. Um, and the way that I parent my son, I'm very conscious is, because of the way I parent, I was parented. And because of the way my father was parented, he was never told by his father that he was loved, not once. Mm -hmm. My father has made a point of saying that to me, at least during his time, lifetime, he's still alive. Um, and yeah, I think these things that we're even starting with here to unpack are going to be, um, I think Jesus is really going to minister. And even if it's one or two things that come up for you that he's going after, it's a process. It's not going to be fixed completely over the next two days. But if he, if, if he brings stuff up, process it, go with him, ask him. Because he's always going to bring up something new and special that will allow you to get clarity to be the parents that you want to be to your own kids, but also to feel parented and back into connection with God in a new way. Do you want to? Do you want to add anything? Well, probably Microphone. I'm Elaine. This is my husband. We have five kids. So our eldest child is around 30 and she's married and they had twins, uh, twin, twin girls and so they're two, so we were grandparents. Um, and then we have like girls in their 20s and three of them living away from home in different kind of countries and two of them, you know, living away from them and two of them at home. Um, I suppose, just not to repeat what Fintan was saying, but certainly what I've heard already in the introduction tonight, I would say from my own experience of parenting, it has absolutely everything to do with encounter with Jesus. Mm. Everything. Everything. That's it. It is there. And that's why I love that you started off with that, you know, first 10 minutes just completely quiet and going, yes. Because this is where we hear that, because he helps us to parent. He not only helps us to parent, but he first of all insists on it, whether we like it or not, that he parents us mm -hmm. first, and then like Fintan was saying, then we can parent our children. Mm -hmm. And so you'll hear more of myself and Fintan's stories, but you know, my story, for example, as Elaine here, 20, my, my story is maybe very different from some of yours, but the impact of my story definitely had a tra some traumatic you know, impact on me, but one, one of, the, one of the biggest impacts our stories have is around our emotional life. So that's certainly where I'll be sharing from because one of the things that happened to me is because of moving around so much and everything that was happening in my life, I ha for me, I had to shut down. Mm -hmm. So I think I am from this area. Like <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely along that lines mm -hmm. of very suppressed in my emotion, numb most of the time, you know, and just... Yeah, like in some ways, you know, it was like moving and walking and speaking to people, but like there wasn't much of an emotional heartbeat going on inside and built up all this armor around me and mm -hmm. um, to protect me. So really, that's what I'm going to be bringing, you know, in my stories and what I share is going to be how God dismantles our protecting behavior, mm -hmm. our protective behaviors, because it's these pr protective behaviors that end up blocking love. Yeah. It's this, this is what blocks yeah. the love. And so the example I would give for that is, you know, now everyone's different, 
but because my my particular background was shutting down emotionally, it meant that I couldn't handle my kids when they were emotional. So whenever there was heightened emotion, I, I, used to, I used to kind of joke with my friends, I'd go, oh yeah, when this particular daughter comes home, I actually went upstairs and just hide in the toilet. <laughs> that was like, that's my testimony. <laughs> you know? Whereas, you know, because I was afraid of emotion. So you can imagine being parented by me, you know? These children are trying to learn about their emotion. Here's the mom just like, you know? And so one of the things, you know, and Vince, just to go back to you, not to take too much time here, but, you know, eventually when I did get to go into those encounters with God, and obviously he has changed that, otherwise I wouldn't be standing here because I'm here to, to give you my testimony, really, of how God has brought me fully alive emotionally. Um, but, um, but also to say that the, the instructions he gives you in those encounters, you know, where he has instructed me things like, you know, helping me to calm my storm, you know, to, to, ca to, to calm my storm in reaction to my own children's emotional behavior. And to, er, to be able to hear things like, love her anyway, Elaine, love her anyway, and be able to have just experiences like the adult children who sometimes give you very loud messages, hey, you're out of my life. <laughs> Bye, mom. <laughs> You've just poured your whole life down for them, you know. And so it's just learning to, you know, hear God, hear his instruction. Because when he speaks... When he speaks that word to you, as much as we can give each other advice here, it's the encounters that make the difference. And I hope that's really what we're going to bring, is we're going to really bring awareness. You know, someone said detangling. Who was, were you saying detangling? I think that's what's going to happen for hopefully a lot of people, a detangling to understand what's your stuff and what's your kid's stuff. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'd like to start with. So. Yep. Okay, just get that was then. <laughs> um, so my son comes home. He's a he's only P seven. He's got this new teacher, and the the full class are going yes. Like right, they found out who it was. Miss Fisher name is, and uh, you know the full class had this spontaneous yeah. Right, and so. She, she, I met the teacher and she was saying, you know, she was kind of a bit embarrassed, I think, you know, that the full class would have such a kind of, you know, united uh, feeling. And uh, so so he comes in and uh, he tells us, oh, they're, they're, uh, we're going through the Hobbit. So maybe this is our summer heads, but uh, through the, this journey uh, of connecting with John and guys for the America, the, you know, one of the books, he writes a lot about the Lord of the Rings. And it, it just opened my eyes to this guy, uh, the, the author of it was a Christian, him and C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote the Lord of the Rings. The two of them were, they were sparring partners when it came to intellectual, uh, you know, um, the development of spiritual ideas in these intellectual ways. And, and then they, they changed the world. You know, to the point where they've, they've made these amazing movies of them. So I've, I've received a lot from John's perspective regarding The Lord of the Rings. But I hadn't heard really much about The Hobbits. So there's three Hobbit movies as we've, if we've all kind of maybe seen them advertised or whatever. So Daniel comes in and his friends are away to watch The Hobbits. 
I'm so I'm going, okay, let's do it. So, <laughs> so and uh, because I never had any running commentary on anybody else's you know, perspectives, so we sit and watch it. So, film two, um, they're on this epic quest, this, this mission that's fraught with danger. Tons of evil going on. And, and, you know, what it reminded me of was, John had mentioned this, that some, one of his friends went to the cinema to see Lord of the Rings and she came out and said, I have just got a clearer view of reality. Because what happened to me and I watched it, it was like, and I was sharing with the guys about the... We can be so caught up with our own wee story. And it's fine, it's day-to-day living. But when you see a movie that's talking about a far bigger story with far more people involved, and there is good and there is evil and it is clashing, and it is trying to come against good from prevailing and overcoming and getting to where it should get to. But there was, there was something coming against, and this is why we, we text, you know, about we're coming to this retreat. There is opposition coming against us. Any movement towards it, freedom and life, is opposed. That's reality. When you watch the movies, that's what they are basically portraying, that there is warfare. So they're on this journey, and they come to this forest that is full of evil. It's a spider forest or something. It's, it's, I'm not going to play the clip. I was going to play the clip, but the clip was actually pretty scary. And I, I, heard, I heard the guys, I heard the, and if you don't watch the full context, you know, but I, I heard the director, and he, they were talking about how scared they were, even though the, the, the things they directed. So anyway, but the thing that jumped out for me was, they're told, make sure you stay in the path. So all these hobbits, 14 hobbits, are walking through uh, this, you know, uh, forest, and all of a sudden, they are beginning to become dazed, alert and oriented, times four or three, whatever it was. They are going, what's happening? And uh, they capture this beautifully. They, uh, they walk, and they step, actually looking around themselves and they, they look as if they're under the influence they don't actually look like they're actually aware of who they are they don't know where they're going and then they're going oh, where's the path and, and, then, and then the next thing somebody's going oh look what I found and it's, it's a sandal a saddle bag or something and the one I'm turns around that's your bag he actually forgot his own what he was carrying himself right next minute they come off the path and, and so the, the main wise uh, leader had he went he rode off on a horse and told them remember stay in the path. But the next minute they get to the path and they get this guy saying look there's no path. But then beautifully the director cuts and he puts points the camera and there's the path. They're after the path, mm-hmm. right? And they're going around in this circle, and it's getting worse and worse. The fog they're all in you can just sense that this is what happens when we are. Don't, don't know, we're battle-weary. We have had a bombardment of constant lies and assault against our life. And you go, what the is going on here? I don't know where I am. And then we Bobo Baggins is walking and there's a bit of light appears. And he looks up and he goes, light! And he's light. We need light. And he climbs up the tree Beautiful scene, gets to the top of the tree and the butterflies appear. Yeah. And he says, I can see the mountain! And I can see this, and I can see that. But the next minute he could see the evil that was coming against them. But he couldn't see it. So, I know it was great, great fun. But the thing for me was, what do we need? We need light. Yeah. 
And uh, this, this is, every one of us stand alone with this. I had run a group about four years ago, and on the way over with these group of men, all older, mature men, I heard inside, not all men desire light. I heard that on the way over. I was too young and naive that I didn't actually go, oh, you're telling me that <laughs> because I'm about to meet some people who might not want light. Because oh, I'm I'm much uh, I'm I'm much more comfortable uh, out here and covering everything up. I'm much more comfortable in the dark. So uh, what we're quoting here, this is John chapter three. Jesus says, "I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. All the things you've heard about me, a lot of nonsense. I come into the world that the world might be saved. But I'll tell you what the judgment is. I'll tell you what the condemnation is." That light came into the world, but men loved men and women loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The Amplified says, "Every wrongdoer hates and detests the light. Won't come to it, but shrinks from it because lest their, their works, or deeds, or activities, or thoughts, or conduct would be exposed and reproved." So another word we'll, we'll get to, but as parents. You know, the correction is so important. Correcting our kids' thinking, correcting believing. Correct, that's what God does with us, correcting, gently leading us. Uh, but he who practices truth, who does what's right, comes to the light so that our works may be plainly shown to be what they are. So, this is a massive step. But we, look at this last paragraph of this. Yeah, we, we want to shrink from the revelation of light. But when we pray for it and welcome it and rejoice to have it, so after it's done its search and cleanse and work in our lives, we can bear it ourselves gladly and triumphantly out into a world that so desperately needs the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sitting here saying, I, I, I'm telling you, hang the night, that that light I got was the most painfulest to hang at the time. I just wanted to run a mile and bury my head in the sand and feel numb myself in some way of the light that came in. Uh, he's like that because of you and the atmosphere you're creating, the anger, the temper, the, the, the way you're treating your wife, the way you're handling your emotions. Uh, you know, that, that, that was light that I did they want to hear. But unless I received it, there's no turning point. Because I can just keep, continue to hide in darkness that means nothing changes, nothing's reproved, nothing's corrected. The course remains, the trajectory remains the same, and it actually doesn't, because it? it gets worse. And I could say some things about that, but I'm in my own, my own family line. Uh, so, to, to finish, the, the invitation is allowing this light to shine in the dark, secret places of our own hearts, in regards to the parenting. To cleanse and purify healers. And as I said to Debbie earlier, we've watched the shack and we've been going through this process. There's a line in the shack that says, how are you? After he came out of this very painful encounter with wisdom. And he says, terrible, but wonderful. Uh, (laughs) And it really jumped out at me, the verse for Psalm 30, that though weeping may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. And the thing is, it's terrible facing it. It's terrible. And the thing, we're not sitting here with theory, we're talking about, as Elaine said, 
we're inviting you into the, just the beginning, this first night of saying, God, I'm asking for light. I'm asking to, just to shine a light. Give me the courage to receive it. Knowing that every other person in here is in the same boat. We're maybe in different storms, but we're, 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 we're in the same need of, I need light for this. So, can we have a wee time of just closing our eyes, a wee bit of prayer, and just asking, uh, asking God into these things. So we're just going to start with unburdening ourselves. <clears throat> Giving everyone, everyone in our lives, children, mothers, fathers, grandparents, grandchildren, everything around all this. The pain, the disappointment, the shame, the regret, the frustration at not being who we're meant to be, not being there. We need to give it to God, unburden ourselves, make room for him to fill, make space, clear space. And as we said earlier, Jesus in, jo- uh, in Revelation 3.20, he says, I stand at your, the door and knock. I don't barge my way in. We need to give him our permission. The greatest miracle of all the miracles is the miracle of heart change. Because we need to let him. So God, as we stand the night and sit here waiting in your presence, we just invite you into the pain, permission to come into the judgments that have that have been formed for some of us, and as Elaine said, in protecting myself. We name resentment to those who are over us or even ourselves about past failures what about the past failures of others God we want to unburden our hearts tonight and invite you into these things you told us that uh, come unto me all you who are heavy burdened, heavy laden, and you said, I will give you rest. So God, we just know that, I don't know, Lord, but you do every person's story and how burdened, encumbered people are with what's happened to them. And all the entanglement of uh, how that's worked out and playing out, not worked out, but how it's playing out. God, we invite you into their things.
he said, take my yoke of, upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But God, I pray that we've got the courage to take, take that further step, that relinquishes control and says, can you shine a light? Can you give me the courage to receive and welcome it? Because he'll never operate beyond what we say, what we give him a permission to do. like the woman with the issue of blood she determined, resolved if I just can touch if I can touch him with my faith he'll make me well Jesus we ask you into that specific thing the thing that troubles me the thing that I'm needing guidance the thing that I'm needing help for I thank you for shining light and shedding light. This has been the Freedom Fighter Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to connect with our services or you want more info or details about upcoming events, connect with us online at www.freedomfighters.life or drop us an email at info at freedomfighters.life. Until next time, God bless you.